Hello and welcome to another episode of The Very Funny Podcast, episode 10. We are here joined today in great harmony and happiness in Toronto, Canada, with what looks like a setup ready. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the video. My microphone looks like it's set up on a transformer, not a transformer for electricity, but a transformer like Optimus Prime kind of transformer. You know what I'm saying? Bumblebee kind of that that kind of thing. Yeah, this is this is not. This is, uh, I forgot the mic stand at home, and this is an improvised mic stand using a lighting tripod, and then I don't know what the hell you call this thing, but it's like the future of grips, and anyways, enough geeky stuff. Here's the thing. I'm in Toronto. I'm at my best friend's house. His name is Rabia Haddad. Shout out to him for uh, letting me stay at his place, um, and honestly, it's been great to hang out with him. I haven't seen him in so long. Let me put this wire here. It'll look nicer, I think, looking at the camera. Looks more sophisticated. Wow. No, that looked terrible. Uh, I'm an idiot. Anyways, so um, Rabia and me have been best friends for like 25 years now. And uh, it's really great hanging out with them. It's really great being here in Toronto. And uh, the show was on Saturday. As you guys know, I had a show on Saturday in Toronto. Thank you so much for telling all your friends and family. I actually had people who came up and said, we heard about it on the podcast or uh, our family told us uh, when you mentioned it on the podcast. So thank you very much for doing that. I, I really appreciate it. It was such an incredible show. It was the last show of Love Isn't the Answer um, that I that I that I do. I've retired that show now. It's now the new show. It's called The Future Is Now, and really, that show um, meant more to me than any show I've ever done. And just the reception that I got for that show in Toronto was so beautiful that. Uh, it's just, I got it. It's just, it's a bit emotional for me to think about that. The journey that that show has put me on, the things that that show has exposed me to, the thoughts, the conversations, the people that I've met. I recently had a conversation online with Morbid Queef. Shout out to her. Uh, a girl called, her username is Morbid Queef. She's, I think that's the greatest username ever. And um, she asked me, she said, Nimmer, do you ever get tired of talking to people? Because a lot of people talk to you all the time and you keep replying to everybody. And I said, why would I get tired? She goes, because, you know, a lot of famous, you know, when you get famous, like you have to talk to people and stuff. And here's something that's interesting. I, I don't know when as a society we got to the, to, the, to the point where, I don't know if I've talked about this on a previous podcast. So I'm just going to go over the thought very quick. But why is it that famous people or the more people you know makes you the more significant contributor to society? There was the Met Gala this past weekend full of super famous people dressing like clowns and 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 don't get me wrong I'm not anti-fashion I'm I'm I mean it looked like a lot of fun and it was very interesting to see and they're raising money for charity and all that but I mean these are not the most important people in our society famous people are not the most important people in our society they're just the most well known and I told her I said the more famous I've become the more I realized that it gave me the privilege to get to know more people that have very interesting stories. I think the more people that I meet, the more interesting stories that I learn, the richer I become as a human being. The advantage to being famous isn't being famous. The advantage to being famous is the accessibility you have to meet more people. So really just the way love is the answer shaped up, it was just as a vessel, as a medium for me to kind of propagate throughout this world and my, my, my thought process on hate and love and that relationship and all that. Um, I'm just, I feel very blessed. 
I feel very, uh, I'm very privileged. There's, there's nothing else you can, you can say about that besides the fact that I'm very, very privileged. And I'm very, very grateful to all of you for allowing me to experience things that I hope through my comedy I'm able to give back that gratitude that I have. Love Isn't the Answer is over. What am I going to do with that show? I, don't, I have footage of it. I've been editing it for the past couple of weeks. And I've been blown away by what I think is the potential impact of it. To the extent that I've considered actually not putting it out as a special on a network where it's going to be limited in how people can watch it, but maybe just making it available online for free or like the first 30 minutes for free. And if you want to buy the rest, you can buy the rest. I don't know. Or maybe I'm going to pitch it to some networks. And if I like the way they want to market it and the way they want to position it and the timing is right, maybe I'll do that. Maybe we can film it in a different way. I just I have some decisions to make. So now that the tour has wound down, wound down, my only upcoming shows are in Winnipeg, June 4 to 8. I'm doing seven, seven shows in Winnipeg, Manitoba at Rumors Comedy Club. Absolutely love that club. Absolutely love the people of Winnipeg. But that's pretty much all I have going on. I think I'm going to make some decisions with what I'm going to do for my next step. In the meantime, I'm streaming on Twitch, so don't forget to head to twitch.tv forward slash Comedy. Having a great time there. I'm going to Lebanon, Beirut this weekend uh, to, to basically put the ink down on, on a deal for a show I want to do this summer. I want to do a show in Lebanon this summer. I'm going to just do one night only, but it's going to be a really special show. It's not going to be Biel. It's not going to be 6,000 person size. It's going to be more like 1,000, smaller kind of show, more intimate um, but something very special. I haven't done a, sh- a summer show in, in Beirut in so long. And everybody knows Beirut in the summer is popping. And I, wa- I miss my family, man. I barely got to see them. I've been touring Love Isn't the Answer for two years. I've spent so little time with my parents. And, and I love my parents so much. And I really want to go and spend some time this summer in my downtime with my parents and my parents-in-law. You know, that future, my wife, woman, fiance. And just, you know, connect with family and just kind of connect with Beirut again. I just, I just want to do a summer show. Like, I'd love to. I haven't done that in years since 2014 or 2015. So since, no, 2014. Since the summer of 2014, I've never done a summer show or summer event. And they, they it is so much fun. So uh, if things keep going as they're going, I mean, I'm going to Lebanon to finalize, so there shouldn't be any issues. Next week, I will be announcing... Uh, I'm aiming for the first week of August. You have until next week to let me know in the comments if first week of August is a really bad time to do it. But the first week of August, I want to do a show in Lebanon. It's going to be a lot of fun. So today, seeing as love isn't the answer ended, and I focus a lot about hate, the power of hate in that show. I had a thought the other day about how disappointed I am in racist people. You know, I love people, racist or non-racist. I think you're a dick. If you're racist, I'll call you out for it. I'll destroy you verbally. Um, And if you ever try to bring physical harm on somebody, I won't hesitate to destroy you physically or at least attempt to. Um, But I'm disappointed in you. You hate. Hate is such a powerful weapon. It's such a positive thing that you can wield. And if you guys are confused as to how I'm saying that, you'll know what I mean when 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 you see love isn't the answer. If I were to loosely define my relationship with hate or how I see it, for me, hate can be very positive. I think the only thing stronger than hate is a more powerful and visceral hate. I don't think love achieves anything. 
in the face of hate. And I explained this in Love Isn't the Answer by saying when two people love each other, if for whatever reason the people around them don't want them to be together, sometimes they fight to stay together. Not because they love each other, because that never changed. They fight to stay together because they hate being apart. And if their hatred of being apart is greater than people's hatred of them being together, they stick it out. And if it isn't, they fall apart. And that's the power of hate. Hate can be great in the right hands. So that's a very loose definition. So if you're going to hate somebody, it's very important to hate them properly. So if you hate Arabs, hate them for the right reasons. Uh, A lot of people hate Arabs because they're terrorists. They're not. A lot of people hate the Arabs because they're extremists. They're not. Arabs are not terrorists. Arabs suffer from terrorism and extremism more than anyone in the world, arguably more than Americans, because you can say that America suffered a lot during 9-11. That was probably the single worst terrorist attack maybe ever. But really, how can you quantify a terrorist attack? If you're doing it in number of lives, sure. But in terms of impact, one terrorist attack, one death can be as impactful to one person as 9-11 could. But the cultural significance, the world changed after 9-11. So, but it, Arabs suffer more from terrorism on a daily basis than you can imagine. It's a part of the tapestry. Not because we're the ones doing it, but because we're the ones affected by it. We're under subjugated by proxy wars and bullshit all the time. Now, here's the thing. I could talk today about the positive stuff that Arabs do, but I'm going to take a different route. Today, I'm going to talk about why you should hate Arabs or the racist's guide to hating Arabs. Why racist? Because everybody's racist. doesn't matter if you're white, white supremacist. Why do we keep saying white supremacists like they're the only racists out there? And saying white supremacist should rub people the wrong way just as much as saying Islamic extremism or Islamic terror, whether or not I agree with that. Because some people say don't say Islamic extremism because you're lumping it in with Islam. And white supremacy, you're lumping it in with white people. Um, and you're kind of painting unfairly a brush of a race of people that have a lot to contribute. White people are not racist. I don't understand what the hell's going on uh, with this recent trend of marginalizing white people in media. And it's so bizarre that we're at a point where we kind of also have to stand up for white people. I understand white people have done a ton of shitty stuff, but which race hasn't? Maybe white people have been the worst. Sure, but... I don't think other racists were not as effectively horrible for lack of trying. There's racism everywhere. And I hate acting like it doesn't exist everywhere. Everybody has their racist Arabs, racist Indians, racist Asians, black people, white people, all different types of people. So the white supremacist guide to hating Arabs doesn't sit well with me. The racist's guide to hating Arabs sits a lot smoother for me. And my personal uh, understanding. I'm going to teach you today why you should hate Arabs and what to hate about Arabs. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to hate Arabs for the right reason. Because if you hate people for the right reasons, if you have an enemy, you're supposed to study your enemy. How are you going to overcome them? If, If the person that you're facing doesn't last long enough for you to be your enemy. Let's say somebody tries to come up against you and you just swat them away. That's not your enemy. That's history. That's something in your past. An enemy is somebody who's keeping up with you and is challenging you on a daily basis. It could be your best friend. That's competitive kind of competitive nature from enemy confrontation comes through, you know, in classrooms, stuff like that. It doesn't have to be a very negative thing. 
Usually when you have a great enemy, you need to study your enemy to find weaknesses in the enemy. To find weaknesses in the enemy and to protect your own weaknesses, you have to self-analyze yourself and be very, very subjective. And you end up learning a lot about yourself and you end up learning a lot about your enemy through this interaction. And more often than not, you end up respecting your enemy. And more often than not, you end up finding out that they're not your enemy. I believe that through the process of hatred applied correctly, the world will become a much better place. I think we need to change our attitudes towards hate. I've talked about this in Love Isn't the Answer. I'll always talk about this. If you want to hate Arabs, don't hate them because they hate Americans or they hate Western civilization. They don't. Arabs have embraced Western civilization in parts and parts not. Where there is a dictatorship, it's difficult to embrace Western civilization on the surface. But if you think that in Saudi Arabia, they didn't have the craziest parties, they don't have cinemas in their own homes, they don't do a crazy amount of drugs, drinking isn't rampant, I don't know what to tell you, right? And that's not what Western civilization is. But those things are there. That's just to show you how little you might know about places like Saudi Arabia. It's just they can't be open about it, man. Because they're in a dictatorship. It's a kingdom. You can call it a kingdom and not a dictatorship. And fine, whatever. A kingdom, by definition, is a dictatorship. There's one person. Stop attributing negative words to things that don't necessarily have to be negative. It's just a construct right? You can have a benevolent dictator. You don't need to say that. A dictator is a dictator. A tyrant is something negative, but a dictator is somebody who dictates law. One person. That's a king by definition. Sorry about all these sirens, by the way. I don't know what's going on. We're talking about terrorism and hatred, and there's a whole thing. I don't know if it's even bleeding in right here, but it's uh, daytime here in Toronto, so what can you do, right? So they're not, they don't hate Western civilization. I am a Christian-born young man. I've done stand-up comedy in the Middle East uh, to thousands of people. I'm the highest selling stand-up comic in the entire region. That's not even up for dispute. I'm one of the highest selling artists in the entire region, period. I've done shows for thousands and thousands and thousands of people of all religious backgrounds in the Emirates, in Oman, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Beirut, in, in Syria, Egypt. I mean, take your pick, right? And I've never had a problem. I've never had a problem. And I'm living proof. I'm practicing an American art form, selling out to tens of thousands of people. As a Christian-born young man, never had a problem. Joined and done shows with Muslim comics, never had a problem. There is no hatred of Western civilization. Dude, Avengers Endgame just made over $2 billion, including overseas. People are watching the movies. They're using iPhones. Do you understand what I'm saying? This narrow-minded view of like, oh, they hate our freedom. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong? What are you? What are you, five? Is that how stupid you are that you believe that bullshit? Nobody hates your freedom. If they hated your freedom, they wouldn't be trying to immigrate to your country. We have the greatest brain drain coming out of the Middle East right now because a lot of people leave the Middle East to come to the U.S. We're going to talk. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about why you should hate Arabs. Let's dive right into it. I'm not going to say anything positive about Arabs. I'm going to say why you should hate them. I don't want you to hate them because they're terrorists, because they're not. They suffer from terrorism and extremism more than anyone. I don't want you to use stupid terminology like towelhead. First of all, you're using towelhead because there's a turban. Turbans are on Sikhs. Sikhs aren't Arab. They aren't even Muslim. Know your hatred. Do better. 
Don't hate Arabs because they're anti-West. They're not anti-West. Don't hate Arabs because they subjugate women. They don't subjugate women. The places that do subjugate women definitely are problem areas and they need to be fixed. But those happen to also be in dictatorships. And there's a lot of problems over there to begin with as well. But for the most part, Air, women, Arab women are tough as fuck and they run shit over there. Trust me on that. Okay. So here's why you should hate Arabs. I think the number one thing that I hate about Arabs as an Arab myself, obviously, in case somebody's listening to this podcast and didn't gather that quite yet, is that Arabs make decisions based out of, they are risk averse. We have a population of people that through multiple wars and multiple massive losses and risks taken and gambles taken that ended up in complete loss and zero-sum games, we have a risk-averse population. We have a population or a region full of people that their decision-making is based out of fear. They don't decide something based out of what could be. They don't say to you, like, take stand-up comedy. You want to be a stand-up comic? They're never going to be like, oh, dude, you want to do stand-up? You should go and do shows at the club. You should try to do material here, there, or the other place. Uh, you should make jokes about this stuff. Oh, my God, do you think one day you're going to meet this comic? You could tour the world. They're going to be like, you want to be a, a stand-up comic? What if it doesn't work out? What if people don't find you funny? No, no, I could never do stand-up comedy. That would never work out. It's not a sustainable income. How will I survive? Decisions are based out of fear, and I hate that about Arab people. For the most part, why do they do that? Let's say that you have a company, you invested in it. Let me explain to you how war takes its toll, especially in, there's been so many generations who haven't experienced a war, uh, whereas I've experienced so many wars in one generation. You have a company, you have employees, you raise capital, you invest, you start working, you get clients, you're a production company, you're doing commercials, you got a portfolio going, things are going great, and then boom, a war happens. A war that you have nothing to do with because most of the wars in the Middle East are all proxy wars that we're subjugated to. They're brought upon us. We're not fighting in them. I've been through, what, nine, 10 different wars, 12 wars, different terrorist attacks. I've never carried a gun in my life. And not because I'm a coward, because I'm not, there is no war. Our military doesn't engage in the wars happening in Lebanon. They just kind of like keep the peace if they can and try to help people who are stuck under rubble and shit. So just try to comprehend that for a second. So you end up in a situation where now a war happens. You were paying all these employees. Suddenly, no money's coming in. You continue to bankroll your employees, hoping that the war ends soon. It takes a few months too long. Now you're bankrupt. The companies, or maybe it doesn't take a few months too long. Maybe it's over in a month. But all those other companies, Sony, Samsung, uh, local companies, factories, they come in the money that they were investing. They're not going to invest any money because they're like, wait, we need to make sure that it's stable again before we start putting money in here. And that's only if it happens once. But imagine if it happens once and then a couple of years later happens again and then a year later happens twice in the same year and then they kidnap your prime minister and then there is no president for three years and then they don't pick up the trash in the country for three years. And Tell me how you would feel about making decisions in confidence then. So you end up in a situation where over generations and generations and generations of no stability and constant warfare because we're a region of resources and people want them, you end up with population that is risk averse. Hell, dude, it affects me in ticket sales. The more popular I've become as an American comic with American audiences, the less Arabs I've seen in my shows because Arabs traditionally wait till the last second to buy their tickets. So you end up with a ton of Americans in the crowd buying their tickets for, like, oh, Nimmer's coming to town. I love that guy. Let's get some tickets. Let's go. It's in three months. Let's go. Hey, you want tickets? Yeah, I'm in. Whereas Arabs are like, whoa, it's in three months. We'll wait until three months. 
or two two months and and three and weeks and six days. And then they get to the show date and there are no tickets left. I'm not saying all Arabs are like this, but a lot are. And you have, uh, you know, 20% of the crowd is Arab, 80% is American. And then I have a, my inbox is flooded with messages from people saying, why don't you add another show? You're only doing one show, two shows, three shows, add more shows. And I always reply with, I wish I could. I would love to. You think I don't want to add shows? If you had bought tickets in advance and I knew there was this much demand, I would have gladly added shows. But they're not going to plan anything because there is no stability. Why buy a ticket to something and then if a war breaks out, you can't use the ticket? Now, obviously, you're going to say, well, this is America. There are no wars here. True. Arab people don't even realize that this is who they are now. They don't realize why we've been conditioned like this. Because we are in a, living in a constant state of fear. That's what I, you should hate Arabs for. Hate Arabs for the fact that they'll tell their children what they can't do as opposed to what they can a conversation with American children will be like, this is what you can do anything. As long as you work hard, you go that hard. European children, same thing. Just, you know, Arabs will tell their kids, you can't do this because this isn't going to make you successful. You should do this because this will make you successful. It's a thrive versus survive mentality. A Western mentality is look at how you could thrive. Uh, Asian, Middle Eastern mentality is look Get the skills you need to survive, which is why when you usually take immigrants and you put them in Western civilizations, they end up thriving so much because they have the tools of survival that Western civilization doesn't bother to teach young people anymore. So we come in with the tools of survival and we've been running around with ankle weights, a chest plate, and we've been weighted down and suddenly it's all taken off because we've given, been given stability and we soar. So <clears throat> Arabs... Make decisions based out of fear. And you should hate them for that. Because that leads to a lot of the division that you see in the Middle East. Tribalism comes out of fear. When you come and you want to do something for your people, the definition of your people changes whether you live in a state of fear or you live in a state of ambition and success. If you live in a state of fear, your people will become your immediate surrounding. And you're seeing this in America right now in a very increased, divided America fear-mongering white people identify as white people not as americans black people are identifying as black people not as americans it's very fucking dangerous this is behavior we got over in the 90s in beirut and now we're well over this and now america is becoming like beirut in the 90s when you start to get afraid and make decisions based out of fear you are afraid that your actions if benevolent may give a positive boost to the other side and then with their newfound power they might marginalize you think about that for a second maybe you've actually been thinking like that for more than a second i'm a christian born typical tribal mentality would be like okay if i'm in lebanon why should i vote for that person they're muslim they're only going to help their people or maybe they say they're not going to help their people but if i vote for them <clears throat> what if? This is fear thinking. I'm going to give you an example of fear thinking versus non-fear thinking. If I'm not thinking of fear, if I have no fear, and a candidate presents themselves for election, I'll be like, what are this guy's or girl's qualifications? What are my concerns? I think this person is the most qualified person to deal with these problems. 
But if I'm thinking out of fear, my first thought is going to be, are they my side or not? Are they on my team? Is that person Muslim or Christian? If they're Muslim, I'd rather vote for the Christian because even though they might be more qualified, if I start voting for Muslim people and then they become more powerful and they're more prominent, then what if, what if, what if they use that power to marginalize us? That's fear-based thinking. And tribalism is something you should hate Arabs for. They're very poor at assimilating. They're very poor at integrating. If you have Arabs going to other Arab nations, they stick with their own clique. So if you have Arabs going to the West, a lot of time it'll take many generations for them to integrate with the Western civilization. If you have Arabs, I'll, dude, I'm ashamed sometimes of what I see when I go to different states in America and I'll meet Arab people there that don't speak English properly. Why? They don't have any American friends. Some of them don't speak English at all. They do, they only hang out with people, not only Arabs. I wish they would hang out with just Arabs. That would at least be a step in the right direction. No, they hang out with only Arabs of a specific religion in the specific church or mosque or synagogue, the specific clique who have the exact same interests for forever. And then they're constantly afraid. They come to the West because where they came from was unstable. And then they're fearful that their children become westernized and they forget the ideals, Arab ideals. The western ideals is why you have somewhere stable to go to. Just be a good parent. It pisses me off when anybody bad mouths American is just, oh, look, Americans or Europeans or whatever, they have no values. Bitch, please. People without values have no values. People with values have values. It's not a generational, it's not a, a, a geographical thing whether or not you have values. It's a, you've done a good job as a parent thing whether or not you have values. I've met people come up to me after shows and they say, Nimr, it was so interesting to see us all sitting together, you know, so many different ethnicities. Do you really think we'll all be able to get along one day? I'm like, dude, we just did it. We just did it right now. What do you think we will be able to? We just did. It's done. People came up to me after shows, Arab people, and said, I I'm worried because my kids are now in American system schools. What if, they, uh, what if they become Americanized? What if they become Americanized? That's amazing with that Arab flavor, with their parents' identity, then you're leveling up. Look, our value is perspective as human beings. If you combine different perspectives, you end up with an evolved human being. Better than American is an Arab American. Better than an American is an American who's been exposed to Arabs. An American who's just an American is as valuable as an Arab who's just an Arab is as valuable as an Asian who's just an Asian. They're neutral. So, if you're coming and you're telling me that you're going to go to the America and not only, I don't understand, when I go to Nashville to do a show, I don't look for a Lebanese restaurant. I want to have some fried chicken, the spicy stuff. That shit's delicious. I go to Houston, I don't look for the best Lebanese restaurant. I have barbecue. I'm in Houston. I'm going to go down to the rodeo if it's in town when I'm there. I'm going to go watch a, a game. The Lebanese restaurants are outstanding. Shout out to Mary's in Houston. Delicious. And they're huge supporters of my show. And I do eat there when I'm staying for an extended stay. Because I love the people. 
But those restaurants shouldn't be for the Arabs. Those restaurants are meant for the Americans. I want Americans to try Arab food and cuisine. I want Americans to see my culture. How can we expect them to see our culture if we don't take the, the if we don't do the same? And you might think that I'm saying all Arabs are like this. I can prove obviously I'm not saying that. St. Jude's Cancer Center, the St. Jude's Children's Cancer Center, was started by a Lebanese stand-up comedian. Ask not what your Donnie Danny Thomas. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. The greatest inaugural address, arguably, in presidential history in America, because of that line, was written by Gibran Khalil Gibran, a Lebanese poet and author and writer. But he wrote it because he was in America, because he wasn't getting the recognition and the success he deserved in the Middle East. So he left. He came to New York. And in 1914, if I'm not mistaken with that date, he wrote that towards an an uprising or revolution that was happening in Egypt. And it was it was it was the speechwriter for JFK saw that and incorporated it into JFK's speech, which made one of the great American historical moments when our paths cross We are at our best. So what's happening now is you have people leaving their Arabs. They leave the Middle East and they are living in a state of fear. What if my kids get exposed to drugs? What if I lose my children? What if they don't respect their parents because only the Arabs respect their parents? Nobody else respects their parents. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? None of them think, what if my kids come to America and they thrive? as a result because of the fear so they end up ingraining in their children fear and I tour all over America and thank God there are organizations like the Lebanese Collegiate Network who totally reverses this and there's so many upstanding individuals but I still see way too many examples for me to be comfortable with of Arabs ingraining in their children the fears that cause them to leave their areas during the war. It's like taking a step back in a time capsule, man. Like when I went to San Diego and I got caught in between a turf war between two churches, Roman Catholic and Maronite Christian, it was the most bizarre thing I ever, what what are we living in, 1975? 1982, 85, 91? What the fuck are you doing? And the kids start talking, "My, my fiance is Muslim, dude. My girl's Muslim. I'm Christian. Nobody in Lebanon gives a fuck. Except for the old generation. But we don't give a fuck about them. Over here, I'm meeting Arab people. They're like, man, how did your parents, like, were they okay with it? It's 2019. In Lebanon, people are way over this shit. You go to Lebanon right now, dude, the Lebanese, the Arabs in the Middle East are head and shoulders way more developed than the Arabs outside the Middle East. And it shocks me. What's going on here? That's a failure on the Western civilization's part as well and their inability to ingrain people and to benefit from this, but a huge failure and a bigger failure on the part of the people going, showing a lack of respect for not trying to embrace that culture and enhance it. You want to hate Arabs? Hate them for their inability to assimilate. Hate them for the fact that they make decisions based out of fear. But understand why they do all of this so that you can understand where this is coming from. And as a human being, racist or not, the more contributors you have to society, the better off you will be. Period. So use these weaknesses that I'm spelling out for you today.
to infiltrate your enemy and bring them over to your side and prosper, thrive, all of you. Hate Arabs for that. They're fearful. They make decisions based out of fear. They're tribal. It all comes back to the fearful thing. That's where it all starts from, okay? They don't assimilate well. It's also from out of fear. But really, that's it. That's why you should hate Arabs. If you choose to hate a population, those are the things you're allowed to hate. Those are the flaws. Those are the negatives. There is nothing else. Feel free to correct me in the comment section below. And I ask everybody in the comment section below, if you're Arab, non-Arab, whatever you are, don't put anything positive. We can talk about positives for the rest of, for the rest of my life, dude. And by the way, if you're ever in a place with a Lebanese restaurant, swing on by. It's delicious. But um, if there's other negative things you can think about, put them down in the comment section below. And don't tell me, oh, we're never going to unite. We're never. This is all. I just. This all stems from fear-based thinking. The biggest problem the Middle East faces today is we need a reversal. People don't read anymore. Fear-based thinking. This is something else you can hate Arabs for. The fact that we make all our decisions based out of fear means that we want short-term gratification. We've become obsessed with short-term victories over long-term victories. Short-term victories are the worst because that also fuels into tribalism and it also fuels into a depreciation of value on things that should carry worth. If you want short-term victories, you're going to be very afraid of supporting something that could bring everybody up in the long term and leave you in the dust behind. So you're always going to be thinking of your people, your tribal behavior, your area, your neighborhood. It's very gang, uh, gang thought process. Your neighborhood, your area, your religion, your immediate surrounding. <clears throat> and if you're thinking like that constantly, short-term, you're screwed. But do you have a choice if you're subjugated to war? It goes back to what I said in the very beginning. When you have so much war going on, always constantly disrupting your plans day in and day out, you become culturally, without even being aware, you are culturally now a short-term thinker. You don't have any objectives or goals. If your kid wants to be an astronaut, it's, that's too long-term a goal. There's so many things could go wrong on the way there. Don't, 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 don't. Just get a degree and get to work and then worry about that. Just get a degree, get to work, start a family, get married, have kids, then follow your dreams. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? That's never going to work. You end up with a crushed population. Hard to assimilate, yeah. It's hard to assimilate with their own identity too. Arabs will have self-hating Arabs. There's so many Uncle Toms in the Middle East. The fact that I can charge more money when I fly in from America than when I used to fly in from the Middle East says everything. I'm the same comic. It's disgusting. I talked about it in a previous episode when I was doing shows in Jordan. as being exposed in that, but it's all over the Middle East. People say Arabs hate Western civilization. Nobody knew who Amal Clooney was until she married George Clooney. When she married George Clooney, we championed her like we had always been her biggest fan. The short-term thinking makes us want to, and I'm saying that because she deserved to get recognized long before that. Short-term thinking makes us put value on things like, you know, Instagram, social networking culture today. We no longer value people who contribute to society. We don't read. We don't value authors, poets, artists, scientists. Dude, the, the Middle East, Arabs, are the biggest contributors in the world. 
to science and mathematics and all that, we don't value that at all anymore. We don't care if somebody has something like that to contribute right now. Right now, we care about who has the most likes, who has the most followers, influencers online. The content that is put out online is ridiculous. I personally don't care. I'm personally always been of the mentality that you put out quality, you put out stuff, you're going to find people who like it. Just do something you're passionate about. It'll resonate. Whether it resonates on a huge scale or not, that's up to the fates. But other people are, the content that they put out, the stuff that they put out, the things that they say now are to get that short-term gratification so that they can have some worth because they need to make as much money out this bitch as they can right now because you never know when they won't be able to make money because there isn't stability that you can depend on. Hate Arabs for that. Hate Arabs because they're short-term thinkers. Their short-term thinking never lets stability come to the Middle East. It's a, it's a catch-22. There is no stability Therefore, I am always in fear. Therefore, I will always think short-term. There is no long-term thinking. There is only short-term thinking. Therefore, there will never be any stability. Therefore, I will always live in fear. It's an endless cycle. My generation is trying to break that cycle, and we've made incredible strides. But that's why you should hate Arabs. That's why I hate Arabs. That's what... It's not... When I say why I hate Arabs, I don't hate Arabs. That's what I hate... In about Arabs is the is what I should be saying. That's what I hate about Arabs. <laughs> but if you want to hate Arabs, hate them for that. Because you have a gigantic population of people who are very dangerous because of these things. Hate them for that and then choose whether or not you want to alienate them for that or you want to help them turn things around and possibly become your biggest ally and help you succeed more than you could ever imagine. In my opinion, the racist guide to hating Arabs, hate Arabs for the fact that they live in fear. And if you want to overcome Arabs and you want to end Arabs and you want to destroy Arabs, you're going to need to understand that fear and I invite you to I invite you to look into the history and don't go back forget forget all the history besides 1950s 1970s 1930s go 1900s and above screw everything else that you from ancient times and they say it's always been like that nobody knows that shit nobody remembers that shit none of the young generation who's online playing dota or playing video games or sending nudes is thinking of the ottoman empires and the conquests and that shit doesn't resonate with these people everything that's applicable is 1900s if you want to start to understand just to get into where that fear comes from and how negatively then study fear Study how you can overcome fear. If you want to immediately overcome your enemy, study that thing so you can realize how superior you are and start to get a bit of a boost. And then maybe when you start to feel superior, maybe you won't be so insecure that you lash out and see them as your enemy. Maybe when you become more superior, you feel more confident and you realize that there's a lot here on the table to be offered to you just with a small behavioral adjustment. Or maybe not. Maybe you want to go shoot up a mosque and that's your way of thinking things are going to get better. That's on you. 
It's not on me. I choose to live my life away. You choose to live your life away. And that, whoever ends up at the end victorious, I guess, dictates the rule, right? History is written by those who win the wars. So it's your choice. You have a choice. You can be racist and hateful and weak, or you can be racist and hateful and strong. My bet is that if you become strong, because you're pathetic right now, the the reasons you hate Arabs are incorrect. If you can't even get your fucking research right, what kind of racist are you? Why the hell should I respect you? You're not my enemy. You're a loser. You're not a worthy opponent. Rise to the occasion. Become worthy. And let's duke it out. Worldwide. And I think the human race would become better for it. Here's the thing. You need to understand. I love you. I love racist people. Because I believe that racist people can really bring out the best in us. Because we're faced to confront that. I'm just disappointed in you that you're so weak. I'm asking you to get good. Be better. Do better. So we can all get better. There is value in every human being. Whether you're racist or non-racist. And this worldview that we've, we've adopted that if you're racist, then you're a scumbag and you're a horrible human being and you should be disposed of is absolutely incorrect. Intentional or unintentional, racist people have a lot to contribute to this world as well. Whether or not they know it. There's a lot they can take away from the world as well. Whether or not they know it. But that's every human being. It's just there's an identifiable trait. This is more of an episode that's kind of like food for thought for everybody who's watching. And I want to end it by saying, I invite you. Let me know why I should hate you. What should I hate about you? Let me know. Do you have the balls to put out an episode to dive into the negatives of your people? And if you're going to be like, my people have no negatives. We're the greatest people on the planet. You're not my opponent. You're not worthy. You're weak. Strength is in identifying your weaknesses. And having the courage and the confidence to be like, yeah, this is what sucks about us. This is what sucks about me. And I'm totally okay letting you know because I'm fucking awesome. These are my weaknesses. I'll work on them and I'll get rid of them over time. That's why I talk about this stuff. I have nothing to fear by exposing Arabs for making decisions based out of fear, for being short-term thinkers, for having value on non-value stuff, for being all about images and stuff like that as opposed to being about legacy and contribution. I have no fear about exposing that because I know we're overcoming it because I see it happening in Beirut and other pockets across the Middle East. And I know I'm doing everything I can to overcome it. And I know that if we have a healthy conversation, we identify it. Some people might watch this and be like, holy shit, I never thought about that. How different my life would be if I was making decisions not out of fear, but out of confidence. I think Arabs are arguably, I mean, you can say the greatest civilization in the world, but I'm biased as hell. So I just think Arabs are fucking great. And I'm damn proud to be an Arab. I'm also damn proud to be an American. I'm damn proud to be a human being, though. I've never seen myself as an Arab or an American. I've only seen myself as a very effective human being. I've done some incredible things. I'm proud of what I've done so far. I think I already have a great legacy and I'm not even halfway through. I'm just proud to be with you all. 
as we stumble across the planet trying to figure shit out. <clears throat> so I'm going to end it here and I'm going to invite you to the white supremacist, to the to the anarchist, to the, uh, to, well, anarchist isn't a racist person per se, to the white supremacist, to what do you call other? That's why I don't like using the word white supremacist. Why isn't there a word for an Asian racist or an Arab racist? Or, so to the racist out there, whatever race you are, white, black, uh, Asian, persuasion, <laughs> whatever you may be, right? Indian, whatever, brown, whatever color, whatever background, whatever ethnicity. I don't see you like that. I see you as a human being, to be honest. I judge everybody equally. You're a shithead regardless of your race. Whatever you are, as a racist, put out a video. This is the racist's guide challenge. Put out a video and tell me why what I should hate about you. Maybe I've been wrong. As a racist person, you might be like, hey, you you call me racist and you hate me because you say I'm racist. You should hate me because of this, this, and this. I'm not racist. I do this. I do that. I'm fantastic. You're hating me for the wrong reasons. Maybe I've been wrong this whole time, man. Maybe you're the most amazing person out there. Let me know by telling me what I should hate about you. Because if what I should hate about you is agreeable to me, then you're... Ipso facto, you're a pretty cool person. And that's where I'm going to end the episode today. I'm going to jump in and answer a question. Uh, you know, uh, feel free, please, to leave questions below uh, here uh, in the comment section on YouTube, or you can direct message me on any of my social networks. It's Nimmer Comedy on all platforms. And we will, uh, we, and I'll answer all your questions. Let me, let me just, oh, I should have this prepared. I never do. There it is. So I got one question today that was on the video last week on YouTube that I want to answer. It's from Jade Rock. And Jade says, I love seeing you staying in touch with your fans. I will make sure to check your streams. He's talking about my Twitch stream. Not my, not like my urination cycle. Just sorry. By the way, I assume you were a Nintendo's kid back in the day. Hell yeah. So I don't think this would bother you as much. But I've seen the trailer. Have you seen the trailer of the live action Sonic? I want to hear your thoughts. For some single-player games, I would recommend playing Doom. We're going to be playing that. This is building on the last episode where I talked about gaming. I wish you the best. By the way, you should try streaming on multiple platforms. If you're not on Twitch affiliate, I am a Twitch affiliate. So I recommend streaming on both Twitch and DLive. I'll check that out for sure. I love that we had such a deep conversation, and now we're going to talk about the Sonic trailer. Let's talk about the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. By the way, I'm wearing shorts. I'm not wearing... I'm not nude from the bottom, just to put it out. Let's talk about the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. <laughs> oh, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, what the hell is he talking about shorts? It's because on the video, I just uh, crossed my legs like basic instinct, you know, where they where they do the with uh, Michelle with uh, Sharon Stone. Oh, that woman's gorgeous. Anyways, Sonic the Hedgehog, our beloved video game from our childhood, the days of Sega Genesis or Mega Drive. I love that in the trailer that for the movie, they're making a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. They said every hero has a Genesis, which is, you know, the Sega Genesis. And then the people were like, what are they going to do in Europe? Every hero has a Mega Drive. <laughs> Hilarious. The trailer was released and oh my God, people thought Sonic looked terrible. Who could have seen this coming? It's not as if they released an image of Sonic that got horrendous feedback and everybody said it's terrible and a lot of people tried to do redesigns. No, that didn't happen, did it? It did. They had time to change it. 
I don't understand the stubbornness. You have a franchise that people love, okay? You have a franchise that people love, they're invested in, and there's there's animations. They're, 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 the, the character model is out there. There are these, the, the freaking cons, the Sega, I don't know what you call them, the Sonic con or whatever, where they go and they dress up. You can easily tell what people are looking for. Why did you design him to look like a human in a furry suit? It makes no sense. He looks terrible. And I think what angered people the most is the movie looked like it could, it's a lot of fun. Jim Carrey looked amazing as Eggman. For a guy with as little character development as Eggman, who would have thought, like, seeing Jim Carrey, the way he was acting him out, it looked like he was having so much fun with the character. Sonic is about fun. And Sonic, if you just don't listen, if you don't look, sounds fun. But the design is horrible. And it sucks because it's a middle finger to the fans when you do that. So it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. It won't allow them to enjoy the movie as much. Because the fans are going to be like, you're not respecting me. I've supported this franchise for so long. We've waited for this moment for so long. I don't know. That's arguable. Some people be like, it's a movie we never asked for. But the least you could do is just do something for me, man. Who are you targeting with this? But I think the good news was that they came back and they said, look, we heard your feedback and we're going to change the design. So that's good, man. That's more work for the animators. They get paid. I mean, they benefit and good for them for listening to the extent that I was like, is that did that happen naturally or is it a marketing scheme? Because that, that would be a brilliant marketing scheme for them to do to be like put out a trailer with a really shitty Sonic that they know like because there's no way somebody thought this was going to be a good Sonic. I just I don't understand, man. He looked terrible. I'm very much looking forward to how they're going. This is a once in a first time kind of thing where you, you're reanimating an entire character based off of backlash. So I'm very interested in seeing what they come back with and how they reintroduce the trailer. And uh, and it's smart now because we're all invested. If they redesign him and he looks great, I mean, we got to go watch the movie. I mean, if anybody who threw hate, you know, gets the redesign, it's like, and the redesign is good. You'll be like, well, I asked for it. So here's my money. So it's pretty brilliant. So those are my thoughts on that. And that's pretty much it. And I'm going to end the episode here today. Thank you guys once again for watching the Very Funny Podcast. I'll be in Winnipeg, Manitoba, June 4 to 8, doing seven shows. Head to NimmerComedy.com to get your tickets. Let your friends and family know if you got any out there. Um, I'm on Twitch.tv forward slash NimmerComedy. Follow me there. We're playing video games. We're laughing our asses off. We're having the time of our lives. I'd love to see you there. I'm going to be in Beirut this week and follow my stories and everything on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. I'm going to be posting everywhere. It's Nimmer Comedy on all platforms. I'm going to be in Beirut for a few days. I'm going to announce a big show next week. Hopefully, everything continues to work out as it is. I love you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.